In the mountains, you'll find all kinds of things, from bears to deers to mountain lions and bobcats, and sometimes, maybe if you're lucky, even a flying Bigfoot doing a backfoot with his tractor in tow. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today, I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true horror stories from the mountains sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the reddit r slash thedarkswamp. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Now, without further ado, be sure to elbow that like button so it really feels it, subscribe if you're new, it really helps the channel grow, and get ready for these creepy and allegedly true mountain horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Camping in the Superstition by Anonymous I'm a 17-year-old guy currently living in Phoenix, Arizona. This incident occurred six months ago on an overnight trip in the Superstition Mountains, about an hour's drive east of Phoenix. I'm not going to specify the exact trail because I've been doing this stuff long enough to realize what happens when you post things on the internet. Whether it's a golf course, an abandoned mine, ghost, or whatever it may be, People usually come flocking with a lot of trash and loud music. I took this trail, an eight mile loop through a canyon, a simple in and out overnight trip. I planned to go with my friend, but the last minute cancellation on his part left me on my own. So with a packed bag and a car ready to go, I decided to go independently. Not leaving the house on time and having some trouble navigating through rough forest roads, I didn't arrive at the trailhead until around 5.45 which for those of you who don't backpack is a huge no-no. I had about a four mile hike until I arrived at my planned camping spot and it was getting dark fast. So I figured if I moved quick enough, I could get at least two to three miles in before I had to find the spot. This strategy left me hiking a very dark trail on my own with about 15 miles of dirt road between me and anyone else. Walking in the dark by itself is scary, especially for where I was and being on my own. Eventually, it got so dark that I could only see where my headlamp was pointing, and that's when I figured I needed to stop and set up a camp. Only using the headlamp as a light source, I tried to move as fast and as quickly as I could. I ended up in a less than ideal spot, but there were some burnt pieces of wood in the remains of a fire circle. Hence, it did look like people at one point camped here, but not any time recently from my estimations. My priority was to get the fire going. I scanned the area around me and found some dry wood and I got the fire going relatively easily. I got my tarp set up and cracked open a can of chili mac I had brought and was looking forward to eating. I felt good. My camp was set up and my food was on fire. The uneasiness from the hike had almost gone away and the concern from the walk in had virtually gone away, but it was still there in the back of my head, which I think is just a side effect from camping alone in remote areas. To fully understand what happened, I have to explain how my camp was set up. The site I had picked was a small clearing surrounded by large pine trees with a trail about 30 feet to my left. When you are in the woods and you have a fire going, the fire casts a circle of light around it and everything on the edge of that circle and past it is essentially pitch black. I was sitting on the ground near my fire eating dinner when a small rock about the size of a marble was thrown into my camp. I look at the tiny rock in shock as I was positive that I was the only person on this trail that night. I immediately turned my light on and towards the area where I had seen the rock come from, but due to the density of the pines and brush, I could only see about 10 feet ahead of me. 
I spent the next 15 minutes in disbelief as I scanned the tree line that surrounded me searching for whatever or whoever had thrown that rock, not daring to stray away from the fire that, in hindsight, offered me a false sense of security. After sitting down and spending the rest of my time on high alert, I convinced myself that I had somehow kicked the rock or had fallen from a tree. I went to sleep that night not expecting the pure terror that would unfold. I awoke to the sound of rustling leaves, barely inaudible if you weren't listening for them, but they were there. Still in a sleepy daze, I heard the rustling of those leaves, harder to hear as I assumed they were moving away from me. I went to grab the handheld flashlight I left next to me when I fell asleep, but the more I looked, the more scared I got as I realized it was no longer there. I stood up in my sleeping bag, ducked out of my tarp, and looked around. I could see the light off in the woods. It could not have been more than 15 feet away. It was my flashlight lying on the ground in a pile of leaves. This is one of the few moments in my life where I almost crapped myself right then and there. The flashlight I had left sitting right next to me when I fell asleep a few hours ago was now 15 feet away from me past the tree line in the woods. I hurriedly slipped on my boots, clutching my knife the entire time in my other hand and keeping my head on a swivel. I weighed my options. Staying here and waiting the night out, or attempting the three-mile hike back to the car in the pitch dark. I figured that whatever or whoever was out here with me was going to have a better advantage on sneaking up on me if I was out on the trail without a light, so I decided to stay at the camp and wait it out. Eventually it came back and I could hear it walking through the woods. It was far off, but I could listen to it just barely. It sounded like someone leisurely walking by like they were on a stroll without a care. Sometimes, it would wander too far away and I would lose the sound of its steps, but then an hour later, maybe two, it would return, still faint as ever. This continued for three or four hours until I listened to the steps getting closer and closer until they finally were about five to ten feet from me. The fire had been tiny as I had run out of wood in my stockpile. Finally, the footsteps stopped and everything went silent. I sat there for two hours, clutching a knife in my hand and praying for two hours, taking the knife in my hand and praying that I couldn't hear anything else. I stayed like that until the sun illuminated me to see that I was alone at my campsite. I packed my things up immediately and sped walk out of there. I don't think I have ever taken down a three mile hike that fast in my life. Finally, I arrived at the empty dirt road where my car was parked and nearly sprinted to it as I unlocked my Subaru jumped in and drove. I didn't stop until I had put at least 20 miles between me and that place. I stopped at a gas station in Apache Junction to buy a Red Bull, but mostly to see and talk to another person. As I exited the store, I read what was written in the dust on the back of my window. Sleep well? Many weird things have happened to me on my various adventures through Arizona, but this is the most mysterious and quite frankly scariest, so I thought I'd share it. There is a seriously deranged person living in the Superstition Mountain. Do yourself a favor and stay as far away from those mountains as possible. Mountain Encounter by Micah I'm 28 years of age and I live in Northern California. I used to love the outdoor activities like hiking, camping, motorbiking, and all that good stuff. I would always go to the mountains and especially the rocky places. But after the incident I had, it's time for a change. This is my story. 
One day, I decided to go motorbike riding up in the mountains with my two good friends Todd and Rachel. The hill we are going to is a well-established trail that most people know about and many people also go there. Todd and Rachel packed our stuff and gear and headed to the mountains. We only packed the stuff that we actually needed like a first aid kit, sleeping equipment, food, and water. After arriving, we parked our car and gassed up our motorbikes, preparing everything we needed. Rachel wore red clothing items with a red helmet. Todd wore yellow and I wore orange and we headed out. It was fun riding up and down the mountain slopes and down hills and meeting people along the way. When we got hungry or thirsty, we would just stop, chill, relax, and enjoy the time we had with each other. After our break, Rachel decided that she wanted to go alone by herself and she will meet us at the top turning point in the mountains. Then she rode her bike off and left. So it was just Todd and myself. We just rode our bikes for some time and did some sightseeing here and there. We talked about everything, like how Todd likes Rachel and, and how he's going to ask her out and all that good stuff. I was happy for Todd because I already knew he wanted to be with Rachel. Then we decided to head out to the turning point where Rachel said that she wanted to meet us and we would wait for her. Hours passed and there was no sign of her. People came by us and we would ask them if they saw a girl who drove around on a motorbike wearing red and they all said they didn't see her. It's been two hours since we got here and that's when we started to get extremely worried. So we decided to head down the mountain and look for her. It might take a while, but we will do whatever it takes to find her. Rachel is a good friend and we will never leave her alone. So we rode our bikes and traveled around yelling her name and asking people if they saw a girl wearing red and riding a motorbike. It was getting late and dark, so we headed up the mountain one last time and saw people walking down. We stopped and asked them if they had seen this girl wearing red, until an old couple told us that they had taken a picture with her earlier. The old couple said that she was heading down to the stream for a better look. After hearing that, Todd and I rode our bikes as fast as we could down to the mountain stream and followed it down. We found Rachel's motorbike and backpack when we got there. We searched the area and yelled out for her. Suddenly, we heard a woman crying and screaming not so far from us. We headed toward it and found Rachel crying and screaming, covering her face. So we came to her and comforted her. She was hysterical, shaking and crying. But when she stopped, she looked at us with the most significant, wide eyes that a human being should not be able to do. We were shocked, but that did not stop us. We carried her to our motorbike, and we were about to drive off when we noticed something in the distance. We both looked up and saw a little girl standing next to a giant oak tree, facing the woods. We were startled, but we kept on looking at the little girl. All of a sudden, she slowly turns around. We hesitated, got scared, and left the area. Days had passed and Rachel was hospitalized for two days. We didn't know what would happen to Rachel, but we stood by her side the whole way. Me, Todd, and Rachel never went to that area again, I can tell you that much. My True Creature Encounter by Vic75 when I was seven or eight years old, I had a disturbing encounter with some sort of creature or entity. I lived in the Appalachian mountain range of Pennsylvania. It was November, around when daylight saving time occurred. I remember it was supposed to be a school day, but since the heavy snow, the buses could not drive out in the morning, so school was canceled for a snow day. I was excited to spend the rest of the day in the snow. 
we had an acre of property going quite far back into the woods. I walked deep into the forest to a small frozen pond past my property line in the mountains. All of a sudden the woods went dead silent. No birds, no wildlife scurrying around, absolutely nothing. I remember thinking this was strange, but I kept walking to make it to the pond. I should have turned around right then and there, but I was a naive kid. After I reached the pond, everything was still completely silent and the hairs on the back of my neck felt like they were rising. I started to get frightened, but I didn't know why. I felt like something terrible would happen to me if I didn't leave then, so I decided I was going to sprint back home. As I arrived in my backyard, I realized it was terribly late and the sun was setting. My mom came running outside asking where I was all day and never disappear like that again, scolding me. None of this made sense to me because I had only been gone for like 20 minutes. I left my house with snow gear on at 10am right after the snow day call. It was almost 8pm when I would finally gotten home, meaning I had been gone for 10 hours somehow. I have no idea how or what happened to me in those mountains. I remember only being out there for such a short period. I don't know if this was some sort of missing 411 type thing, did I go through some sort of time portal, I don't know. If anybody has any idea, I would love to know in the comments though. Frederick Sound Experience by MenuFeeling1577 when I was in 7th or 8th grade thereabouts, our school had an early summer trip where they would take 10 kids who signed up and 4 adult chaperones to keep them wrangled up in the Frederick Sound of Alaska for 3 weeks total. The trip's goal was to kayak to different wilderness beaches and to camp along the mountains. We left from Petersburg, Alaska by a small seaplane that flew us in fours out to our first destination which was a beautiful little bay cove area on an island that you could walk to on low tide. Behind the bay on the hillside was an evergreen forest that overlooked a beautiful set of mountains. By that point of the trip we would be on our own for the next two and a half weeks. It took about a half a day to get that done and the rest of the day to set up everyone's camps for the night. The first unusual thing we saw back up in the tree line from the beach when we arrived was old wooden ship parts. You could find ropes and pulleys thicker than our arms, old rotted pieces of carved planks and railings, and most interesting, a helm and its deck attachment. All these things are half buried in the dirt strewn across the tree line above the shore in a dire state of decay, but no sign of any other part of the ship. I don't know how long it had been there. I don't know if it was wrecked on the shore long ago or was wrecked at sea and chucked up onto the beach during storms, but it was eerily fascinating to all of us kids and we all brought up many wild ideas to what we thought it might be at the campfire that night. After all the others returned to their tents, the girl I had a thing for with at school and I stayed at the fire to talk and flirt. It was the perfect timing for it too. We listened to some humpback whales singing out in the bay, and we heard some wolves in between owl hoots from out in the very wild darkness. We had a starry night sky that looked out of a dream with a big white moon letting in a bright bluish light in between the trees on the shore. Both of us were finally getting tired around what must have been 1 or 2 a.m and we ran out of the easily found wood to chuck up on the dying fire. We headed back to our respective tents. The tents were set up in a line of trees, a line running from the beach into the woods. The girls' two tents were right against the sand. 
The chaperone's tent was a couple of yards away from that, and our boys' two tents were just a couple of yards further. We were the furthest into the wood. The moonlight made it easy for me to find my way back to my tent, but once I entered the tent, I didn't see where my new friend Alex was sleeping, and I accidentally woke him up. Now, Alex and I had just become friends on that trip. However, we did kind of know each other from some classes and in the hallways. We didn't really know each other that much. We just hung out in different social groups. We didn't hang out before this trip. He was an athlete and popular kid, and I was a skater band kid. Still, we both loved the outdoors. He asked me what the hell I was doing back so late, and he was giving me a grin as I said I was still at the fire with Lisa. He immediately sat up and wanted to hear more. We were quietly giggling about girls and teenage boy stuff when the woods outside went dead silent out of nowhere. The kind of silence that gives you a sick feeling in your chest and throat and some sort of weird weight in your stomach. It's like the back of your neck starts to feel hot and a survival instinct is telling you that you're not alone in the wild. We both noticed it too. Everything fell silent. The only sound we could still hear beside the distant roll of waves was inside of our tent. Our other tent mate, Sam, had been there the whole time and was still snoring away like a chainsaw. Funny, right? Except we were more worried about why things had gone silent outside. We felt uneasy about it and decided to listen for a couple of minutes, and that's when we heard it. Now, the sight of our tent with the door was facing toward the other tents and the shore. This noise came from the opposite side, the side of the woods. I kid you not, it sounded like a bunch of monks meditating and harmonizing on the word OM, but without saying the M part and continuing the prolonged drone sound. It moved from out of the forest to our tent. It started softly and far away and rather quickly but steadily became louder, which is how we realized it was moving closer. It sounded human. But there was no pausing for breaths or shift in tone for any known reason. It was something that I can't really explain. Suddenly the noise was outside the tent, and that's when we noticed even Sam had stopped snoring. As far as I know, he was still asleep, but his silence made the noise more intense. It circled us, no wavering or swaying of the noise. It just spun, seemingly suspended in the air, just a few feet outside of our tent, at what I can only describe as a humanish height off the ground. We couldn't see through the tent, but the moon was still bright enough to see silhouettes of the trees outside. So, I would assume that if something solid were making it, it would cast a shadow from certain angles. Nope. No visible form was coming from this noise. No footsteps or twigs were snapping. Just the noise circling. At this point, Alex and I's heart were pounding in our throats, and we had the looks of terror on our face. We just kept silent and still listened. After it circled our tent, we heard it move closer to the other boys' tents and do the same, then down to the chaperone's tent. It spun theirs but sounded fainter due to the distance. It continued to the girls' tents where we could barely hear over the sound of the ocean, but sure enough it sounded like it stayed there a minute. Based on the current context most likely circling, then after a few minutes, we heard it slowly return in a straight line from the beach and pass us back into the forest where it faded and disappeared. A couple of minutes after the sound stopped, the nighttime forest noises returned, and even Sam started snoring again. Alex and I quietly said to each other, Holy crap, did you hear that too? Then we tried to go back to sleep, but I'm sure neither of us were very successful. The following day, we went outside and checked all around the campsite and couldn't find any sort of tracks or anything different from the previous night. 
nothing at all. We asked if anyone else in the group had been awake and heard anything weird, and the response was no. We didn't go further into it with any of the others, but Alex and I know what we experienced. After the trip, he and I went back to not hanging out, but when we do see each other, we exchange looks of solidarity and know what happened, and we experienced something truly different that night. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true mountain horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or you can send it in on reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. If you enjoyed these stories tonight, please be sure to elbow that like button in the face to let it know that you really, really, really liked tonight's stories. What says that more than a bloody nose? Be sure to subscribe if you're new, it really helps the channel grow. I'm very close to 300,000 subscribers, I'd love to try to hit that by the end of the year. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcast, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. I would be very honored if you would give us a 5-star rating on those platforms as well as it helps us grow over there. Thank you guys so much for the support. I really appreciate you guys dwelling in my swamp with me. If you made it to the end, be sure to let me know what story was your favorite tonight and comment the code word Sparking Dog to let me know that you made it. I'd love to see you all in the comments. I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.